This episode of the Crack House Chronicles is brought to you by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. This is not a crisis line or a self-help line. It's professional counseling done securely online. Now, Dale, this is a broad range of expertise that is available, which may not be locally available in many areas. Yeah, this service is available for clients worldwide. And you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. So you don't have to worry about sitting in an uncomfortable waiting room and waiting on a traditional therapist. Yeah, which is really good in this time. You don't really want to go and sit in the waiting room with a bunch of people with the stuff going on that's going on today. Sitting there with a mask on and, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's no good. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. And if you don't like your counselor, it's pretty easy to change. It's more affordable than traditional online counseling and financial aid is available. That's always good. Right that's, a, that's awesome. Yeah. And BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. That's right. So visit their website and read the testimonials. They're posted there daily. All right, Dale. Visit BetterHelp.com slash CHC. That's Better H-E-L-P. And you can join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. That's right. In fact, so many people are using it now, they're actually recruiting counselors in all 50 states. So a special offer for our listeners, you can get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CHC. you got to use the code word BetterHelp.com slash CHC. you admit to being evil, Richard? We are all evil in some form or another, are we not? Convicted serial killer Richard Ramirez seemed to relish the concept of evil, and once upon a time, a lot of folks in the state of California viewed the one-time Texas altar boy as evil's human embodiment. Yes, I am evil. Not 100%, but I am evil. In the summer of 1985, the Texas drifter descended like a deadly disease on a hot California night. A one-man epidemic of madness and murder, one of America's first serial killers to be given a brand name, the name The Night Stalker. Lock your doors, lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. Who wants to be next? I don't. No one else does. He preyed on both women and men, young and old. He slipped through windows, slit throats, raped, tortured, and killed. What do you want the world to know about you? The world has been fed many lies about me. Uh, I have read very few truths. Who are you? Just a guy. Just a guy. And it was here in a cramped room in a San Francisco jail that I interviewed the man known as the Night Stalker. A memorable face-off with me asking questions and Ramirez, for the most part, reading from a script. 
Did you kill 13 people? It would be improper for me to comment on my LA convictions and on my pending case here in San Francisco. Why? Because of my appeals. Are you appealing these because you say you're innocent? You didn't kill 13 people? That is correct. You didn't kill 13 people? Again, it would be improper for me to comment in any regard to that question. You have now entered a very rare group of people in this country. You're in the, the ranks of Charlie Manson, Ted Bundy. You claim you didn't commit these murders, but you're right in there now as far as everybody else is concerned. Serial killers do on a small scale what governments do on a large one. They are a product of the times, and these are bloodthirsty times. Even psychopaths have emotions if you dig deep enough, but then again, maybe they don't. Do you have emotions, Richard? No comment. Tell me what kind of emotions you got going through you right now. I'll tell you what, I gave up on love and happiness a long time ago. Why? I, I don't care to explain that. Let, let, the, let the quote stand for itself. People, people in this day and age are brainwashed and programmed like a computer at being nothing more than puppets. This nation, this country is founded in violence. Violent delights tend to have violent ends. It's madness is something rare in individuals, but in groups, people, and ages, it is a rule. Killing is killing, whether done for duty, profit, or fun. Men murdered themselves into this democracy. You're, you're good at reading your script, Richard, but you're not much at answering my direct questions. A lot was made that you're a devil worshiper. Do you worship the devil? Have you ever studied Satanism? There are different sects of Satanism. Have you studied, just yes or no, have you studied yes, Satanism? Yes, I have. Are you, are you a worshiper of the devil? No comment. Come on, Richard. We're I can tell you a little bit about Satanism. Well, I'm, I'm interested in hearing what you got to say then. It is undefiled wisdom instead of hypocritical self-deceit. It is power, power without charity. A Satanist admits to being evil. Do you admit to being evil, Richard? We are all evil in some form or another, are we not? I'm asking you the questions, my friend. <laughs> yes, I am evil. Not 100%, but I am evil. Evil has always existed. The perfect world most people seek shall never come to pass, and it's going to get worse. <sighs> the great epochs of our life is when we gain the courage to rebaptize our e evil qualities as being our best qualities. Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles. I am Donnie, your host, and with me is a man who just told his neighbor's kid that it's okay to pee outside. <laughs> it's Dale. <laughs> what's going on, man? Hey, man, what's up with you? Well, that sounds that makes you sound real good. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, it takes a village these days, okay? That's right. In the wilderness, anyway. That's it. <laughs> What's going on, dude? What's happening, my friend? I'm ready to record another episode. Yeah, big one this week. Yeah, we got some good stuff, dude. Mm -hmm. But before we get started, we want to remind everyone about our, our Facebook page, Instagram, our website, and we also have a YouTube channel that we... Yeah. Our, we post our episodes too. There's no video with them. It's just all audio, but you know, if anybody doesn't like to listen to the 
podcast platforms they're welcome to go to youtube and check it out yeah jump over and hit the subscribe button easy for me to see yep and hit that notification bell too so you'll know when our episodes are uploaded that's right all right anything else before we get started dale uh, uh i don't know i just went blank yeah right. anything else yeah uh how about uh you can jump over to our uh our website, check that out. We have a merch page. We have a store where you can uh, donate a couple of dollars, gas money. We'll send you a sticker or something. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, order a t-shirt. With, there's there's face mask on there. Yeah, yeah. Yep. everybody needs them. Yep. Help, help the calls. All right, Dale, we're going to get into our, our episode, man, and we've got a good one. You know, we've we've covered a lot of stuff, but we're going to do another serial killer this week. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty, pretty good one. Getting cold chills already. Yep. And this guy... His name is Ricardo Leva Munoz Ramirez, better known as Richard Ramirez, mm. a.k.a. the Night Stalker. The Night Stalker. All right. That gets in a, the Night Stalker is a pretty cool name, I guess. Yes, yeah, better than all the other ones he had. <laughs> yeah, like a Valley Intruder wasn't too bad. No. Mm, Midnight Stalker was close. The walk-in killer. Yeah, like the walk-in freezer, I guess. Yeah, walk-in closet but, killer. <laughs> the screen door intruder now. <laughs> Yeah, that there. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I think the Night Stalker is about the best one he had. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it, 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 I guess it's cool being a serial killer and all, but I mean, for a name, not not cool to be a serial killer. But just if you're gonna have a name, Night Stalker is way better than the Screen Door Intruder. Yeah. Okay. All right. Ramirez was born in El Paso, Texas, on February the 29th, 1960. So that makes him a leap year baby. Yep. Hmm. That's right. And he was the youngest of five children to Julian and Mercedes Ramirez. Right. Yeah. And Dale, his father, Julian, was a Mexican national and former Juarez, Mexico policeman. And they moved to the United States, and he became a laborer on the Santa Fe Railroad. Yeah, he's a pretty strict pretty strict parent. I think. They were very religious parents, mm. from what I've heard. Yeah, he wasn't afraid to spare the rod. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and prone to fits of anger, and which pretty often result in physical abuse to his, his children. Yeah, whether they need it or not, I would yeah. say. Yeah, yeah sounds sound pretty rough. All right, Dale, talking about Richard's mother, Mercedes, she worked in a boot factory, and there were a lot of chemicals and different things there that they had to breathe. I guess the uh, Asha wasn't... It wasn't too heavy on them. No, they wasn't too May heavy. May not even be a thing. Who knows? Yeah. And, and she was prone to all this vapors and Toxic fumes, yeah. Yeah. And most of her children, when they were born, resulted in some kind of... Birth defects. Yeah. Whether it was a respiratory or either they had one son that had like some bone deformities of some sort. Yeah. So every one of them had some kind of deformity about them. Right. All right, Dale. When Richard was two years old, he suffered a severe head trauma. Yeah. I think a dresser maybe fell on him or something. Yeah, his sister was babysitting, I think, and she wasn't paying attention. He was wanting something off the top of a dresser and started climbing. When he did, it fell on top of him. Yeah, and gave him a pretty bad concussion at two years old. Yeah, and it took more than uh, 30 stitches to sew him up, so it was a pretty good shot. Oh, yeah. At two years old, that's not good. No, that's not good at all. Three years later, when Richard was five years old, they were on a playground, and he got hit by a swing. Yeah, I think he was running to see his sister, and I don't know, either the swing two or the swing back. Yeah, must have caught him pretty good in the head. Yeah, and, and knocked him out and gave him a concussion. And I think from this one, he was out for a good while. Yeah, I think about 30 minutes or so. Before they got him to come to. Come to, yeah. After this, Dale, Ramirez 
suffered from epileptic seizures. Right. So this wasn't this wasn't good for him at all. Right. Yeah, it's not good like, having two pretty serious concussions. You know, that young can't mm-hmm. be good. Yeah. Yeah, Dale. These um, seizures he had. I mean, they lasted him up till he was a teenager. Yeah. And a lot of times when uh, stuff was going down, like his dad was coming down on stuff, he to escape from all his family abuse. He would go out and actually sleep in the cemetery. He like, found that peaceful, and you know they're being alone, sleeping in the yeah, cemetery. I don't guess nobody mess with you in the cemetery at night. I don't know. I ain't gonna be there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and but uh, Richard played. He played sports and stuff. But I think his, you know, when he was in school, his, his epilepsy, you know, prevented him from, you know, pursuing that. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, it didn't wasn't a good fit for him. Yeah, at all. not long after this, when he was twelve, his cousin Mike comes home from Vietnam. Better known as Miguel Ramirez. Yeah, I guess Miguel, better known as Mike. Yeah. yeah. I, think that's, I think that's the... Did I get it backwards? No, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but now, Miguel, his cousin, well, his cousin Mike, he was a decorated U.S. Army Green Beret and combat veteran from the Vietnam War. Yeah, he had seen some stuff. Yeah. And he became a pretty big influence to Ramirez, Richard Ramirez. Yeah, Richard and him, they hung out a good bit. Yeah. And then I uh, got to where Michael was showing Richard a lot of stuff that he probably shouldn't have been showing him. Yeah. He would, um, when Miguel was in Vietnam, he would uh, torture women over there, rape them, murder them, decapitate women. Yeah, and, and he had Polaroids of a lot of this stuff. Yeah. So he actually brought back photos of himself holding decapitated heads and have women tied up and stuff like that so yeah. it's kind of a torture photos i guess yeah and he would he would show these to richard yeah and he's 12 year old richard basically teaching richard you know it just was showing what a powerful feeling he had over these women and basically you just take what you want mm-hmm. you know and, and then from there he went ahead and started showing him uh, like army techniques you know like being stealth moving around and uh shooting guns and how to do recon and a lot of killing techniques especially with knives and stuff yeah at this time too richard was smoking marijuana and dealing in some drugs and doing drugs so and sniffing glue too i think yeah and this is all around 12 years old yeah so this wasn't really good too and i'd i'd heard that you know our our u.s government taught miguel how to kill so he taught richard how to kill yep so this wasn't this wasn't good at all so so far we got double concussions we're doing drugs we're getting taught that you can just basically do what you want to the women, take what you want, and we've also learned how to kill and how to be real stealthy about it. Before he's a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But plus, they also said that once he started smoking marijuana that the seizures kind of eased up. So whether there was a, a link to that, we don't know. Yeah. And he may have grew out of them too. I don't know. True. Yeah. All right, Dale. Um, on May the 4th, 1973, uh, Richard was with his cousin, Miguel, and he witnessed his cousin Miguel fatally shoot his wife, Jessie. Yeah, Richard had discovered that uh, Mike had kept a gun in the, in the refrigerator of his house, and he always wondered why that was, and he told him he liked to keep it cool in case he needed to use it later or something like that, and, and then uh, later that same day is when... Uh, he got into a big argument with his wife, Jessica, and he ended up shooting her in the face with a thirty-two caliber pistol right in front of Richard and their, and their kids. Mm-hmm, right in the face. Yeah. And said Richard was so close he even got a little spray on him, you know. So it's, so Mike is not a very good 
role model per se Mm-mm, no and it was this time richard became sort of withdrawn from his family and even his schoolmate classmates and everything he, he just i don't know he just became shy wouldn't talk to anybody i can't imagine what you he went imagine, through yeah that change of feller you know oh that, yeah you went from uh, looking at polaroids with stuff to right there in your face live live action in the living room yeah crazy mm-hmm. and i think uh, mike how many years in prison did he get for this mike actually went in and pleaded insane so he got four years in a mental institution and okay. that, that's all he served was that's four all he years. for for that okay and they let him out all right dale later that year Richard moved in with his older sister, Ruth, and her husband, Roberto. Now, Roberto was an obsessive peeping Tom. Yeah, he was a pretty pretty freaky guy. Yeah, and he would take Richard along with him on his little nightly exploits. Yeah, showing him the ropes on how to spy on women, basically. <laughs> yeah, looking windows and catching them dressing and undressing and doing all that stuff. Richard also began using LSD and got an interest in Satanism. Yep. During this time. Yeah. He was getting a pretty good uh, teaching on how to serial kill. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's not good. And while he was in school, he took a job at a local Holiday Inn. Yep. 16 years old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And at 16 year old, he had a pass key to the to all the rooms in the hotel, which which probably why he took the job there. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> he well, his employment ended. After a hotel guest returned to their room and found Richard trying to rape his wife. Yeah, Richard had used his key card and went in, and the lady was, uh, I think she was either getting in the shower or getting out of the shower. And the husband had went down to the lobby or out to the parking lot, depending on what what you know. Anyway, and so Richard went in and was uh, attempting to rape, and when the husband came back in the room. Yeah. And he beat the brakes off Richard. Yeah. He bloodied him up pretty good. But, uh, Dale, these, this couple in the hotel, they were from out of town. They lived out of state. Right. And they even declined to return to testify against Richard. Yeah, they didn't want to go back and do all that, so they just, they just left, and so no charges were filed, so Richard goes free. Yeah. So now he's getting shown that, just like Miguel, basically you get a little slap on the hand, nothing really matters. Yeah. And so he's now he's been taught all this stuff and got all these so-called, I guess I want to say weapons, but all these tools so he's been taught he has all these tools basically he has serial killer toolkit mm-hmm. of knowledge anyway and uh now he went in and tried some stuff and didn't even get in trouble for it yep so he's, he's getting a, a sense of being <clears throat> invincible kind of i guess all right in 1979 richard meets donna myers who had went to el paso with two of her friends armando rodriguez and tony reyes and they went down from san francisco to see richard armando and richard had been friends and he uh, introduced Donna to him. Donna would later say that when she met Richard, he was a really nice guy. When they decided to go back to California, Richard jumped on board with him and rode the bus back. And uh, that's when he went to uh, to live on Skid Row. Yeah, I think he was living in hotels and in right there at the bus terminal, hanging yeah. out with the big clan of thieves and and seeing prostitutes too, pretty regular. Right, and this is where he comes very good at stealing cars. Mm-hmm. So he was doing that and then he ended up robbers. I mean, uh, he was robbing places to, to support his habits of prostitution and drugs and stealing cars, I guess. Yeah. So he was doing a little bit of cocaine and LSD and everything else, too. Just yeah. probably whatever he could get his hands on. Right. Yeah, he was even, at this point, he's even started 
shooting cocaine and even once donna had said that he, he had broken the needle off in his arm he had to go to the er to have it removed oh man yeah it was at this point where he dived in a little deeper into Satanism when Donna would say he was always drawing pentagrams on his arms and say that he would, he would really like to have them tattooed on. But uh, I don't think he ever got that far. Mm-mm. Yeah. All right, it was at this point in uh, February 26, 1984, Richard starts uh, raping little girls. He abducted a six-year-old girl from a bus stop who was there waiting on her sister to return. He allegedly stuffed her into a laundry bag, molested her, and then later let her go. It was also reported he did this to another girl a little later. On March 11th, a nine-year-old boy was kidnapped from his home in uh, Monterey Park. He was sexually assaulted and then left in another park near Soho Lake. Mm -hmm. So, getting pretty... uh, He's just building up and building up. Yeah, and starting off with kids ain't real cool. Yep. And then on uh, April the 10th of 1984... Richard murders a nine-year-old girl, Mei Ling, and this was in the basement of the hotel where he was living, and this was, I think, in the Tenderloin District of San Francisco. Right. He raped her and beat her and before stabbing her to death. And they left her hung up on a pipe or something. Yeah, hanging from a pipe. And this kill actually wasn't uh, linked to Richard until 2009 when they went back and they had a DNA analysis. Yeah. So but, yeah. He, but he never confessed to this murder, so... But it was linked to him. Correct. So, yeah, this these first few murders weren't even part of his Night Stalker crimes. No, no. I don't know. He was just something about these kids. I don't know. That kind of yeah. Yep. Two little girls, a little boy, and then a kill another little girl. His first kill was the little girl. So. Yeah. Now we're going to move on to just a couple months in 1984, on June the 28th of 1984. A 79-year-old woman named uh, Jenny Vincow. Right. And she was found brutally murdered in her apartment in the glass the Glassell Park of Los Angeles. And she'd been stabbed repeatedly while asleep in her bed. Her throat was slashed so deeply that it almost cut her head off. Yeah, Richard was coked up at this time and uh he'd even made a mistake of taking off his glove to take to take the screen out so he left a fingerprint on the screen. Yeah. And I think this is when he kind of figured out he needed to quit doing drugs if he saw be a killer <laughs> yeah but uh basically i said that uh what had happened is uh he went in and this was like a, a lower rent apartment it wasn't mm-hmm. nothing fancy and then he went in he was infuriated because it wasn't anything to steal and that's why he was so brutal on the killing yep so i think after this is when he steps up and going into more affluent neighborhoods yeah but really during all of his kills it really didn't matter he got to where it didn't matter what neighborhood he was in later on yeah, but he didn't. He didn't care. He didn't care. He didn't. He didn't, never had an mo. It was. And it didn't matter how old you were, how young you were, how many people were in the house. It didn't matter if he was home. No. All right. All right. Um, go move just a little bit ahead. It was almost, I guess, about nine months later, uh, in 1985, on March the 17th, Richard attacks a 22-year-old Maria Hernandez in her home in Rosemead, California. And I think she just got home, and he had snuck into the garage when she had pulled into the garage. Yeah, he was. Uh, she had pulled in, and then when the door was going down, he snuck in under the door without her knowing. Yeah. And she turned around, and he had a, a twenty-two caliber pointed at her right. and fired at her face. Yeah, I think uh, what happened is when he ducked under the door, 
his hat fell off and hit the ground and, and she heard it and thought it was a footstep when she turned around he had a gun in her face yeah and when he fired the gun she had her hands up in front of her face and dale the bullet ricocheted off the keys in her hand yeah miraculous man how lucky was that for her yeah, and smart enough for her she went down like she was shot yeah she pretend, actually pretended to be dead so he stepped over and went on in the house yeah he went in the house and when he got in the house he found Maria's roommate, Dale, I think her name was Dale Yoshi Osaki, and she was 34, and she had heard the gunshot and ducked behind the kitchen counter. Right, and as soon as he had, she had seen like the figure coming in the door, she ducked behind the counter and hoping he didn't see her. Yeah, he just stood there silently, pretty much. Yeah, he just walked right over to the, where she is behind and held the gun there, and, and then as soon as she popped her head up to see if he was there, he shot her point blank in the forehead. Yep. She knew, I guess Richard knew the her curiosity would take over. Yeah. He maybe thought she, he was going if he was quiet enough. Yeah. He just, she just raised up and bam. So as bad as that is, just think about how how much good luck was in the in the garage with that girl. I mean, you think about it. How many times would that happen? Yeah. You get shot at, throw your hands up, just happen to have your keys in the right place and ricochet the bullet off. And as he was leaving, he went back through the garage and saw that Maria was still alive but he didn't he didn't do anything to her he just left her yeah so this was his the first witness first person he left alive yep yep and then later would say that he thought you know he when he actually seen her she was still alive it kind of freaked him out like it's some kind of divine intervention so he, he's like well he just left plus being in that uh in those condominiums he knew he'd already fired a couple shots and he probably needed to get the hell on out probably did yeah now dale within an hour of this Rosemead invasion, Ramirez pulled 32-year-old Veronica Yu out of her car in Monterey Park, California. What he was, he'd pulled up behind her and following her, and she knew that he was following her. Right. Yeah, and, and so she pulled over, and actually he went by her. And, and so then her, I guess, being, being I don't know, gutsy, a female, being a gutsy gal, yeah, just pulled right back out behind him and started following him Yeah, until they got to a stoplight, and he jumped out. And they said that uh, he jumped out. He was almost like quick as lightning, jumped across the hood of her car and got in a passenger side. Yeah, he came up to her and actually tried to jerk her out the window. And he couldn't get out there, and he noticed that the other side was unlocked. Mm -hmm. Jumped across the hood like Bo Duke or whatever. <laughs> hood sliding like Bo Duke. Right. And then uh, jerked that door open and then uh, actually shot her in the side and then shot her once again when she was trying to go out the door. And this was actually witnessed by a couple sitting in their car right down the street. Yeah. And Dale, she was pronounced dead upon arrival at the hospital. Right. And the two murders and attempted third in a single day attracted ex extensive coverage in the media. And who dubbed the, Richard the curly hair attacker and bulging eyes and wide space teeth and actually had rotting teeth as the walk-in killer and valley intruder. So he's getting a name now. He's getting a little more notoriety. Yeah. And we're going to talk about his teeth a little bit later on, yeah. why he had uh, rotten teeth. On March 27th, 1985, Richard entered a home that he had burglarized a year earlier in Whittier, California, about 2 a.m., and killed sleeping Vincent Charles Zazara, who was 64, with a gunshot to his head with a 22 caliber gun. Yeah, I think he was laying on the couch sleeping. Laying there asleep. He fell asleep, yeah. Yeah. Well, we've got to mention that this summer, it's also a really hot summer in California with lots of people leaving their windows and doors, or at least their windows up. 
and then because he always snuck in basically through a window or an unlocked door or a pet door or something like that so hardly ever did he make had to actually break in i think this summer of 85 was like a record heat in california somewhere seems like him yeah i think i heard that and zazara's wife maxine she was 44 she was actually 20 years younger than her husband right and she woke up to this gunshot well, i'm sure and ramirez went into the bedroom where she was and bound her hands and demanded to know where her valuable was yep that seemed to be his mo and he started ransacking the house and room and everywhere but maxine was able to loosen some of the restraints yeah she uh kind of got it loose and rolled off the bed because she knew that they kept a shotgun underneath the bed yeah and uh she rolled under there and grabbed the shotgun and uh when she stood up she uh what do you call it she ratcheted the shotgun back because i guess it was a pump and then when richard turned around she pulled the trigger and it'll just click yep the worst sound ever yeah so the weekend before the grandchildren had been over so vincent being the, the good grandfather he was had taken the shells out of the shotgun just to be safe yeah. and hadn't put them back in. Yeah. And this would be very costly. Yeah. After uh, she pulled the gun and it went click, he shot her three times. Yeah. He, he, tried, was, he was pissed off. Yeah, he's, he was really infuriated. So he went to the kitchen to get a, a large kitchen knife. Yeah. And he was intended on uh, cutting her heart out. Yeah. But he couldn't get past the, the breastbone. Yeah. So... So this is uh he just started uh, stabbing her, mutilating her body, and then went on to gouge actually gouge her eyes out and place them in a jewelry box and took him took them with him and took them with him. Yeah, man. Yeah, pretty pretty bad dude. Yeah, this is this is a pretty rough. And it determined at the autopsy that you know they were the mutilations were post mortem, and Ramirez actually left footprints at this scene. In, so, the, in the flower bed. Is this the first time he's left? The yeah, this is the first time. Hmm. And they were from a pair of Avia sneakers. And the tread pattern on the Avia are pretty distinct. It's like a, a patented tread mark. So it's pretty distinct, you know, that they can narrow it down pretty good to, to and To the brand, yeah. Yeah, and I think he wore a size 11. 11 and a half. 11 and a half. Right. So, you know, there's not many Avias sold 11 and a half. I would think. I think it could narrow that down. From what I heard, in that area, there was only two pair of 11 and a half of Vias sold, which mm. is kind of odd to me, but that's what I heard. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't many people buying a Vias. Yeah. But the police were able to uh, photograph and make cast of the Avia footprint. Right. And this would start to become commonplace when uh, it all the murders is one of the ways they, they tie them together eventually. But they did find that, uh, you know, this was basically the only evidence that the police had at the time. And the bullets found at the scene were matched to those from a pe- a previous attacks. Right. And the police began to realize they had a serial killer. And just a side note, Vincent and Maxine's bodies were found by their son, Peter. Mm. So I can't imagine. cannot imagine. No. No, we actually watched the thing with Peter on there, and he said still to this day it bothers him. Yeah. He still he can't have Christmas and he can't have Thanksgiving or any of that stuff like that just because of, of the trauma that this this caused. Yeah, that um, Richard stole everything from him. Yeah, said he didn't go to the trial. He didn't do anything later on. You know, we'll talk about that. But he didn't even, he didn't even, wouldn't even show up. Right, because right. he he knew it wouldn't be good. Yep, and I can't blame him. Yep, he said it almost kind of like what we talked about uh, with Tony Simo and 
you know, with uh, Rudolph Tyner having, having vengeance, wanting, yeah. to, wanting to get back. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure yeah. he would He would have that feeling. Most definitely. Yeah. Wouldn't you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is brutal, man. All right, Dale. On May the 14th of 1985, Richard returned to Monterey Park and entered the home of Bill Doy, who was 66, and his disa- disabled wife, Lillian, who was 56. And he surprised Doy in his bedroom and Richard shot him in the face with the twenty-two semi-automatic pistol as Doy actually was trying to reach for his handgun. Yeah, he kept it by his bed, right? Yeah. And after beating Bill to death, or beating him pretty good, Ramirez entered Lillian's bedroom, bound her with thumb cuffs, raped her, and ransacked the home for valuables. So wait, so this lady is uh, disabled. She's in her hospital bed, I assume, yeah. in her bedroom. So he goes into her room, puts thumb cuffs on her, which is something he used a good bit, and then raped her. Yeah, disabled woman. Good God. And then and then went to ransack the home for fables. Yeah. All right, Dale. We're going to stop this podcast off here with part one. Uh, maybe two, maybe three parts in this, because we want to make sure we get every detail we can about Richard Ramirez, because it's, it's a pretty graphic case and it's detailed and lots of people know about it so we want to make sure we get the coverage right right yeah this is probably he's one of the i guess the top he's one of the top i don't know there's a lot of a lot of serial killers that are like the top guys but he's, this has got to be one of the most evil sickest guys that yeah. there was he was he, actually he didn't care one of the first ones to be dubbed with a nickname oh yeah so you know it's you know he's he stands out yeah, very much so, because he didn't care. 8 to 80, he didn't, I mean, just think he's he's done it all. Yep. We're going to get out of here. We want everyone to be safe, be careful, and always be aware of your surroundings. Because the next episode could be about you. This is the Crack, Crack House, House Chronicles. Chronicles.